if I knew you, <laughs> if any, if someone knew you, okay, what would they know? <laughs> Just knew me on the surface, or knew me in what like way? A more in a deeper way. Hi, we're Hannah Bay, Jasmine Joda, and Teresa McCartney, all T23s, and you are listening to If You Knew Me, a grassroots podcast dedicated to celebrating diversity, equity, and inclusion at the Tech School of Business at Dartmouth. Well, I think we've talked about this a little bit, like my past job experience was really looking at like breaking news and breaking information, and I had a really niche focus there looking at conflicts in the Middle East and extremism in that region. So I think that's something that doesn't really come up a lot in the tuck experience because it doesn't relate a ton to business, honestly. But that was a big part of my life and I'm still really passionate about the region of the Middle East and then also about the importance of breaking news and the importance of good quality news, which I think is something as well that is can be hard to come by mm-hmm. in the US and especially now as a lot of people rely on information from mm-hmm. the internet and from social media some of that is from really good news outlets and some yeah. news outlets have a really strong presence online but it's also really easy to look at clickbaity things or yeah. to look at someone who seems reliable but in reality is putting out fake news so yeah I think especially there's so many thoughts I have to this topic yeah because there it it is a very complex and wide subject area um but I think it's interesting that you had this experience especially because you were working during the proliferation of fake news like when it really became a thing for the first time on mass in our culture so that must have been interesting for you to really think about like okay, what is good quality media and how much... I'm also thinking about this in terms of like how social media, how responsible social media is for funneling high quality news to consumers en masse because um, I was taking some classes this past term where we were talking about like antitrust laws and like how much of, how much of a responsibility there is for some of these large tech companies to to really curate what information we get told on a daily basis. But before we dive into all of that, first I want to learn about like actually like how you got into this job and like why you felt so passionate about this work that you were doing. Yeah, I started this job recently after graduating college. I had another job for only a few months, honestly, before this, but In college, I studied Arabic and international culture, and I really wanted to have a job where I could use my Arabic language skills because it didn't come naturally to me in college. I struggled a lot to learn Arabic. How did you even start? How did you even wake up and decide you wanted to study Arabic? So the school I went to, I went to the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown, where you have to have proficiency in a foreign language in order to graduate. And that's determined by a test you take your junior or senior year. Mm. And depending on the language, it's like different levels of fluency. And so before going to Georgetown, I had taken Latin in middle school and high school. So I was coming in. I always thought it was a useless thing I learned. (laughs) I think that it was, honestly. 
But my parents felt strongly that we take Latin, me and my sisters take Latin. Mm. So I was coming in with basically a blank slate because like, obviously Latin was not a language you could take to have proficiency in at college. (laughs) Um, And so I wanted to take Arabic because my mom was born in Saudi Arabia and grew up there. Mm-hmm. And one of my uncles was at the time living in the oh. UAE and had spent most of his career in the Middle East. And so wow. I was just really interested in the region. And I think especially having family that grew up there and then also still lived there at the time, um, I think that I had a really different point of view maybe on middle eastern culture and then a lot of people did especially in you know like a post 9-11 world and so i was just really intrigued by it and i thought that Mm -hmm. learning arabic would be interesting a good way to challenge myself and would also help me to further my own understanding of the region with my own experiences um and then also when i was in college it was the height of the arab spring so i was a sophomore Mm -hmm. when um, the Arab Spring sort of began mm-hmm. um, and when the Egyptian government was overthrown and then mm. the civil war in Syria started. So all of those things compounded. There was just so much mm. happening in the region. It was a really interesting time to be studying Arabic and also looking at Middle Eastern politics. So mm-hmm. that's how I really got into things, I would say. Yeah. So it really just started with you having that, um, I guess, background with your mom being born in the area Saudi Arabia you Mm -hmm. said and your uncle was there so because you had these family members who were able to I guess influence you to be pay more attention and be more sensitive to what was happening in the world and it was happening right before you were about to go off to college yeah and I think just the fact that they really had really positive experiences living there and Mm. My mom is American, so she lived in an expat community in Saudi, so definitely mm-hmm. a different experience, of course, than somebody who was living there. But mm-hmm. she, and also she's traveled all across the Middle East, so she went to Lebanon before the Lebanese Civil War. She's been uh-huh. to Iran, and like all of these things are just really yeah. different than the perception that we have now. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to learn more about it and you know, for my own understanding as best mm-hmm. I could um, of the region. That's so cool that your mom traveled so much in that region. What was she doing? So my grandfather was an oil petrochemical engineer for Ramco, which is the big Saudi mm-hmm. oil company. Um, and then he was also an amateur archaeologist. So Ooh. my mom and her siblings, basically on vacations, they would sit into like a... Land Rover and just drive all around and mm-hmm. do amateur like archaeological expeditions. I don't think they ever found anything. Basically, they go camping in the desert in different places. That's so but fun, though. It definitely made her yeah. more in- like she's been to a lot of places, seen a lot of really mm. cool sites, and seen a lot of things also that you know I probably will never be able to see or things mm. that have been destroyed now. So just a really interesting upbringing. Yeah. Have you actually visited many countries in the Middle East? In college, I studied abroad in Jordan. Mm-hmm. And when I was there, I went to Lebanon and the UAE. And since 
that trip where I went to a lot of places, I've been back to Jordan. My older sister lives in Jordan now. Wow. And I've been to Oman and Morocco as well. Mm-hmm. So I've been to some places in the Middle East, but not a ton. Do Would you say that those experiences also helped shape your passion for this topic? I think so. I've enjoyed all of my travels across the region. And I think one thing that has been just really great is everywhere I've gone, I think that I've always had very positive experiences in terms of feeling welcomed by people. Mm -hmm. I'm not fluent in Arabic, but I can have a conversation or try to have a conversation. And I think people always respond really well when they see me attempting Arabic, even if it's not perfect Mm -hmm. in any way. Um, That's how it always is when you speak another language. But I think that's been really great. And I also think that it's, all those experiences definitely push me outside of my comfort zone in terms of just going to really different places than I've been to before, doing a lot of a navigation on my own. When I went to Oman, me and a friend rented a car and basically drove around the country on our own for 10 days. And it was just really fun, but also different because I had never done something like that with just me and another woman as well. Mm -hmm. And we were really welcomed by people. We had no Mm -hmm. problems at all in terms of being two women, traveling around, I've always felt very safe. Um, And so I've loved all those travels. And I think also there's each of those countries I've been to are really different from each other. Mm -hmm. So there's just lots of different, you know, things to try in terms of eating different types of food, eating traditional food, being more like in the desert, Mm -hmm. being, you know, on the Mediterranean. So I've enjoyed all of those travels just immensely. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it just made me want to try to spend more time there if I can. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's far away and expensive to get there. It is. It's like a 20, basically a a full day of travel. Yeah. One thing I love about traveling though is the fact that you can see how a whole different culture lives and the different valleys that they have. So I can't even imagine what kinds of, like, as a woman living in those countries, what would it be like? So for you, when you were visiting, was there anything that really struck you that you felt was, like, very memorable? Definitely my first experience in Jordan was the first time I had been in the Middle East. So I just Mm -hmm. didn't really know at all what to expect. And I think the biggest thing is that there's a pretty... I think, first of all, as someone who's obviously American mm-hmm. in my appearance and when I speak, mm-hmm. I have a lot of latitudes that people may not, right? So I think I'm definitely treated differently because it's clear I'm American. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it just, it was really interesting. There's a wide range of things I think that people find acceptable. And I learned a lot of different nuances about like how women approach maybe covering their hair, choosing to, mm-hmm. choosing not to different levels of like what they choose to like wear in terms of Mm -hmm. how covered they are or not and how much of a personal like decision that is I didn't Mm -hmm. really know what to expect but in Jordan with the host family where um like none of them were the women wore the hijab they didn't cover their hair at all Mm -hmm. and like on campus are you supposed to um you it's up to the person and like Mm -hmm. their 
interpretation of Islam, I guess. Mm -hmm. I'm not an expert on that by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. Some women do choose to cover their hair. Um, Some women choose to cover their hair and then wear more like westernized clothing. Some women choose to cover their hair and wear much looser garments. Um, So, but I didn't realize really at all there was that full level of nuance before I went to Jordan for Mm -hmm. the first time. So that was eye-opening for me. And like I said, I don't really understand all the factors that go into a person's decision. Mm -hmm. I'm sure family, culture, but also one's own interpretation of religion and how they want to practice it is a big factor too, I think. Yeah. Do you think that it made you appreciate more of... I guess for me, if I was going through that and encountering those different choices, I think I would have a new appreciation for the meaning of religion in, in those women's lives and an appreciation for family values because we the i think values for family and religion play off very differently here as well as personal expression which is a huge part of what style is yeah i definitely think it made me just view it as a much more nuanced issue than i had ever thought of it before honestly Mm -hmm. because I didn't realize at all that there could be gradation of hijab wearing, which feels very naive to say that now, but I didn't really think about that as much. Yeah. Um, and I think it is just something that was very surprising to me, I guess. Mm. Um, but, and I think also it was helpful. Like I had some friends when I lived in London who um like had again varying levels of wearing the hijab Mm. and sort of hearing their own rationale for wanting to wear or making choices about wearing makeup versus not wearing makeup things like that Mm. was again just a level of nuance i hadn't experienced Mm -hmm. and it's like what are motivating factors to each of these individuals Mm -hmm. are all different yeah it's different we we don't really have anything similar in the u.s do we it's like if someone decides to go vegan or not <laughs> but like i don't no. know i feel like that's so definitely not it's so like superficial not, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i mean well, i definitely I mean, yeah. think there are different ways that people choose to express their religious views in terms mm-hmm. of like physical appearance mm-hmm. but no i don't think we do yeah so tell me about how you got the job that you were at before talk so I knew that I wanted to have a job there where I could still speak Arabic or practice Arabic. Um, and So you can practice what you learned during college. Yeah. And um, one of my friends from college worked there at the time. And a number of people I actually went to school with ended up working there because of the language and content that we learned at the SFS. Mm. Um, so... I was talking to him and he mentioned the company and so then he referred me mm-hmm. and that's how I was initially initially introduced to it mm-hmm. and I when I first started looked at actually all different types of breaking news it wasn't just middle east breaking news mm-hmm. or news related to extremism I mean, what year was this this was 20 January 2015 15 so right oh yeah so like one year before, basically, Trump got elected. Yeah. And so I think at the time, it's probably important to note that 
this was when ISIS controlled the vast majority of Syria and mm-hmm. Iraq and also controlled parts of Libya and was active across the Middle East in many countries and also was unfortunately at a period of time where there were quite a few terrorist attacks across Western Europe. My first day at the job was when the Charlie Hebdo attack happened in Paris. That was your first day on the job? That was my first day on the job. I was in training, but that was my very first day. So it was definitely a very tumultuous time in terms of global, international news, and especially with areas I covered. But beyond that, also, you know, the war in Ukraine before this initial invasion of Russia, Mm -hmm. but the war in like Donetsk and Luhansk was very active. Um, This was also around when Saudi Arabia launched a war in Yemen. So there was a lot of news happening in my region and just a lot of breaking news globally, I would say. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the news we covered broke mainly on Twitter, Mm -hmm. which was... I think really interesting and also a really different environment than we have now on Twitter where anyone can get verified (laughs) yes and so we looked a lot at people who were actually on the ground in the countries talking Mm -hmm. about events or sort of networks of people who put together information um, especially in places like Syria where maybe it wasn't safe to be posting mm-hmm. as much. There would be networks of activists who would post information. And so it really opened my eyes to how you can get really good quality information like outside of traditional news gathering mm-hmm. methodologies. Um, this was really using social media to find breaking news. Mm-hmm. And Were you act- actively going on Twitter then to find breaking news? Partially. The company mm-hmm. has an algorithm that mm-hmm. we used a lot to um, identify information. Mm. and But I spent a lot of time on Twitter and other mm-hmm. platforms. And it was just really interesting. I didn't realize at all how much you could find information just on social media. Because I hadn't mm-hmm. ever used um, you know, really Twitter or Facebook or anything like that mm-hmm. for anything beyond social networking purposes. Yeah. And I actually don't even know how to use Twitter. <laughs> like, do you search on Twitter? Like, you I don't can know. find a lot of information on Twitter. <laughs> um, but it was really cool, um, and just learned so much about mm-hmm. all different breaking events and geopolitical situations around the world. Mm-hmm. Out again, outside of my area of expertise only, mm-hmm. we looked at all breaking events globally. So whenever I would be on shift, we would cover. Th- you divide up coverage in different ways, mm-hmm. but I learned a lot about all different topics during mm-hmm. the course of my time there. Yeah. I can imagine when you first started that it was a bit of a shock to the system. Yeah. To have to engage with really horrible acts of violence in the world. It definitely <laughs> was a shock to the system, and it was something that I grappled with when I first started and grappled with my entire time and even after I left and came to Tuck because I felt incredibly disconnected from everything that was happening around the world Mm -hmm. and that was really hard for me but when I first started it was definitely a challenge because a lot of the information was related to acts of violence like war in Syria you know major terrorist attacks and 
it's really hard to spend maybe eight hours looking at that information. But I think what I also really believe is that it's really important to understand what is happening around the world, especially outside areas of our, you know, real understanding or comfort zone, because I do think that all these events have big impacts on uh, on our lives in some way or another. And if you don't have some understanding of what's happening, it's really hard to see how all of these disparate events play together in terms of geopolitics. Like a lot of this does feed into American politics in some way and decisions mm-hmm. that America makes. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's really important to understand, but it also was really hard to look at all this content and it was very physically draining actually to yeah. work because it was pretty, most of the days pretty nonstop in terms of breaking news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, during that time, it was like, it was like, I, I remember just turning on the news and being like, oh my God, I can't believe something, this happened again. Yeah. There, Another it was, thing happening. Mm-hmm. Just every day felt like there was something different mm-hmm. um, and pretty taxing. Um, so, and it was also hard because you don't necessarily want to talk to a lot of people about maybe the things that you're Mm -hmm. seeing because it is pretty depressing. And so then you can talk with your colleagues about it and they're really understanding, but at the same time, like where, what is the outlet for you to sort of like process these things is really hard. And it's also hard. It's easy in the moment to just sort of keep your head down and continue working because you have a job to do and it's important and things are happening so quickly but then after the fact you sort of do have to try to process what has happened over that shift or maybe over the course of a week or a month if it's been really intense Mm -hmm. but it's really hard to do that when you're also physically exhausted yeah so tell me about did you were you able to find a way to process (laughs) eventually I think for me, it was really important and still is really important for me to deal with stress through physical activity. Yeah. It's been an outlet for me my entire life. And so I do think that that is really important. That's a major way that I relax. Mm -hmm. And I also think that, I know everyone says this, but it is important to have boundaries between your work life and your personal life I think one thing that I didn't do when I first started was I would still get push notifications Mm -hmm. on my days off from Mm -hmm. maybe 15 different news outlets during the day and from the application that the company put out and so even when I wasn't working I would still know what was going on Mm -hmm. but that was actually very stressful Mm -hmm. and so as I continued working, I would eventually just turn off all notifications on days I wasn't working and then would just read the news before I went into work if I mm. didn't know what happened. But you still can figure out any major events that are happening in the world. Yeah. So I think that was important for me was trying to have, you know, when I wasn't working, distance from some of the content mm. um, as much as I could. I also think that there's another aspect of this whole thing is that it's a job and you want to get promotions and jobs and you want to do a good job and you know be impressed yeah impress yourself like you want to do work that you're proud of and so in that kind of environment I could imagine like uh, 
maybe there wasn't any sense of competition. Like there was always some sense of competition within my teams in my previous roles, but I don't know. I like, what would it look like to have, to like show that you're exceeding expectations in this kind of environment that like you can read all the news and like always know everything that's going on. I think when I started, I was just an individual contributor Mm -hmm. and the way I interpreted it as being successful was one finding of course finding major stories quickly Mm -hmm. and finding the best maybe the best source so somebody who might have been there actually been there maybe seen the event themselves finding their post online that was really important to show we were kind of providing the best quality eyewitness information Mm -hmm. and knowing how to find that was something that was important and then the other thing as well is something that is hard to assess but was my judgment of what was an important situation for our clients and knowing when something wasn't that important versus what's extremely important Mm -hmm. and how to cover that story from start to finish but also just how to make sure that the right people were seeing the information at the right time was a really big component of my job Mm. and so I think as an individual contributor that was important and then I eventually was like leading teams of people looking at this information and I think what was important there for me to be successful was really that judgment of newsworthiness because then I was in charge of determining when mm-hmm. things were going to clients or not, not just for my own stories, but for everyone who was mm-hmm. working at the time stories um, shift. And that is really hard to assess because some stories you think are going to be huge and they'll be flops and vice mm-hmm. versa. Some things that start small become major things. Um, That's so interesting. that was important. And then also just, it was a lot of leadership during stressful times Mm -hmm. how to keep maybe people focused and working when you're covering like a terrorist attack is kind of hard it is not kind of hard it is hard to do and then also making sure people are feeling okay afterwards was challenging so I think those things were important I definitely learned a lot about leadership during my time there Mm -hmm. and I think my view of what it means to be a good leader has definitely shifted a lot Mm -hmm. over the course of the job and also since leaving, reflecting on what I thought was good leadership at the time in hindsight with some space from the Mm -hmm. high-stress environment I was in. Mm -hmm. Is that actually good leadership? Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure. Oh, yeah, I want to (laughs) hear. I feel like there's a story behind this. I think that when it comes to leadership, it was very much a high stress I perceived it as a high stress high performance kind of environment Mm -hmm. where we asked a lot of people day in day out and especially when I was a little bit younger newer to Mm -hmm. it and didn't have maybe as many responsibilities outside of work it was really easy to give 110% to the job every day Mm -hmm. and I think when I was leading teams, especially at the start, I expected that from everyone all the time too. And that's unrealistic because mm-hmm. people have a lot going on in their personal lives. People process information differently. I might not think something is, you know, maybe hard to look at somebody else might. And 
they also don't have to tell me that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that I probably push my teams. I know, I don't think, I know Mm -hmm. I push my teams way too hard at the start Mm -hmm. in sort of this pursuit of being the best team on when we were on shift, we were always be the best team on shift and you can only do that so much before you really burn people out. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I was incredibly burned out when I left the job and I think that it's something for me in hindsight of sort of thinking about when to push and when to really hold back. Mm -hmm. You can't be 110% go, go, go all the time. Mm -hmm. And you have to know when to push and when to not push for each individual person and for the team as a whole. Mm -hmm. So I learned that. And I think it was, in some ways, a great environment for learning about leadership because it was really high pressure. And I think a different type of pressure than a lot of our classmates have experienced in their jobs because we would maybe have a minute to make a decision and then we had to act on that decision and information went directly to clients and if there was a mistake, it was really hard to pull it back. And so it made me, I think, very good about navigating decisions in like complex environments Mm -hmm. and also good at working under high stress. Mm -hmm. But, you know everyone operates in that differently and I just think you can't push I really push people I think way too far when I first um was managing teams yeah well I think that shows a lot of self-awareness that you're able to recognize that now and you're not saying like the worst thing will be for you to say no it was always good to push people to their furthest because then you get the best out of people (laughs) but you understand the human condition like you understand that we all I think it's really special that you understand that everyone has different needs and everyone can be can performs better under different kinds of circumstances. And it's a big question to ask ourselves as a leader, as a good manager, how do we get the best out of everyone? Yeah, it's great that I know that now, but I do think a lot about... I manage people for five of the seven years I was there, basically, maybe four of the seven years maybe not quite five and I do think a lot about maybe the people I managed the first two years Mm. I think it's great that I learned these experiences but at the same time like there are consequences of me being a bad manager at that period in time that I still think about in terms of Mm. you know impacting people's career progression or impacting like how they Mm. felt about their job performance that you know it was a learning experience for me, yeah. but there is two sides of every coin. And I do think if we had some people like sitting next to me who I managed when I, f- I first became a manager at 25, yeah. like it's, to me, it's young. I'm 30 <laughs> it was one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm 31 and it's crazy to think that I was 25 and managing 12 people. Yeah. So I think if you first put me in touch with those people, if they were sitting next to me, they might have a very different, you know, they would probably yeah. be saying some of these things and, probably even more harshly than I'm saying them now about mm-hmm. what it was like to work for me at that point in time. Yeah. But also you were placed with a lot of responsibility at a very young age without formal training. So, you know, you were also doing your best in, under your circumstances. I think recently it's become more fashionable for companies, big corporations, small corporations, small company startups to start, to start, implementing steps to create an environment and a culture of, of growth mindset. And I think it sounds like you're, at your company, it wasn't 
like positive feedback wasn't really encouraged or done much and a lot of negative feedback was given so I think for me I would have just left the company I would have just been like I'm not growing I'm not thriving I'm leaving yeah even though I believe in the mission of the product so for you, how what made you stay there? Like, how did you stay there for well, so long and, and continue to give 110%? I think that my experience was definitely not all negative. And I think that maybe I've focused more on some of the things that were hard for me when I was there and not all of the positive things that were there. Because on the one hand, it was hard to become a manager so young. On the other hand that was an amazing learning opportunity for me. And I definitely do not think I would have had that opportunity had I been at a bigger, more established company. Mm -hmm. That is hands down not the case. I also think that there was a lot of room for innovation. And if you had an idea about how to improve something, you were given a certain amount of latitude to do that, which was really great. What was just hard was that our job was super intense. You didn't always have the time or to the pursue capacity. that or the capacity to pursue it so but that's not to say that there weren't some ideas that I had that I was given full support to pursue and I really do appreciate that and also I really do believe in the mission of the company and the value of the product quite a lot even now upon leaving I was really sad to leave the company when I left because I really do believe in what it's trying to do and I think especially now we talked a little bit about misinformation mm -hmm. the company does a great service I think in providing actual like true really good quality real-time risk alerts and mm -hmm. nothing is 100% certain because you can't do that without being there on the ground of course but for our clients we do provide really and a really ex exceptional service so mm -hmm. I do think that there's a lot of positives there and that's really why I stayed at the company for so long and as much as maybe at times I was really stressed out I also was given a lot of responsibility and they had a lot of trust in me mm -hmm. and that also carried me through a long way so it's all about a balance which is hard it's, about balance. it's always about balance but at the end of the day when it came time for me to come to business school mm -hmm. I at that time felt that I wasn't sure of my place with the future of the company and before you know the year of applying to business school I would say sort of that year time period I always felt that I knew that I had a really clear place with the company moving forward I did not feel like I had a good idea of where I would be growing with the company and that was really challenging for me especially because I felt I had given a lot personally to it mm -hmm. and you know if I was being overlooked or not I don't actually know but I felt that I was being overlooked in terms of my contributions and I just wasn't sure where if I stayed another year where would I be mm -hmm. or if I stayed another three more years where I would be mm -hmm. so that was why I came, I decided to come to business school. Mm. I was also just ready for a change. I'd been there, yeah. like I said, for seven years. That's a long time. Yeah, and especially as a millennial. As a millennial, <laughs> yep. I was ready for a change. 
I also am interested in at some point like running a company myself and I definitely knew that I had really developed very strong leadership skills there Mm -hmm. but didn't feel that I had developed a lot of skills in other areas about how to actually grow a company yeah (laughs) which is something that's probably important if you want to run a company (laughs) probably probably um so coming to business school felt like a good decision and Mm -hmm. it also is so different from what I studied in college Mm -hmm. everything was new to me when we first walked into accounting and uh-huh. professor like Leslie. Leslie Robinson was talking about a 10k I was like I don't know what a 10k is <laughs> we all we all were like I was like what are I don't know letters? what an income statement is I don't know what a balance sheet what is <laughs> um what does a kager even mean and <laughs> that was a great learning for me mm-hmm. um and so I've really enjoyed learning all these new things that has been mm-hmm. really important I think even from like not just a business point of view like my own personal Point, finance point of view like I didn't know what a bond was like yeah. all of these things yeah. learned a ton and hopefully at some point in the future I can like combine a lot of my passions together into some sort of job or some sort of company I'm not sure what that is yet mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm still really passionate about the Middle East mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about breaking news and mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about you know helping people understand what is happening in the world around them and really how that influences geopolitics. Mm -hmm. Because I think that a lot of people don't have a great grasp on that. Mm -hmm. And I think Tuck has done a pretty good job of helping us with that through some of the classes we've taken. Mm -hmm. Um, But Like which classes? Well, I really enjoyed GEM. That was really good. Mm -hmm. And then I took the khaki class, the companies and Mm -hmm. countries and international economics <laughs> mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed that a lot as well mm-hmm. so with Andy Bernard with Andy Bernard and kind mm-hmm. of things that can cause like an economic collapse in a country because mm-hmm. a lot of it is obviously economic factors and also political factors it's social factors related. it's all related and I love that kind of stuff so I'm and not sure our responsibility like. as an executive of a company yeah and how would you act to improve the situation or keep the company afloat if you are in that sort of crisis so Mm. um i'm not sure like what exactly the future holds in terms of that but i would love to be able to bring my newfound understanding of yes business business concepts concepts, (laughs) basic business concepts (laughs) um with some of my passions and combine them at some point i think it's really awesome that you have something that you're passionate about yeah i think it's just hard because I'm not exactly sure how that translates to a profitable business. And that's what I need to think about. <laughs> yeah. But something that I've learned is that if you're passionate about something and you provide some sort of service to people, then people pay for that service. Yeah. I think that, you know, we were kind of talking a little bit again about how like news breaks on social media and there are some yeah. like former journalists or current journalists but formerly for like really major news outlets who are creating like their own sort of news channels on instagram and things like that where they yeah where they really curate in that sense like the most best news sources and put all that Mm -hmm. information together for people and that's really interesting and I don't know if they're monetizing it or not or how they would monetize it, but yeah. I think that's this, interesting. This video, this breaking news video is sponsored by Dasani. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that would be, like, distressing. So, 
I'm not sure exactly what things are going to look like, but yeah, it's interesting. It is so interesting. We'll see. Especially because I, I spend so much time on social media and I actually don't see much of like the news side of social media. I see like a lot of entertainment. Yeah. And so it is interesting to see this new burgeoning section of social media that is news forward. I think it's also, I mean, it's definitely a feed that I've curated for myself because mm-hmm. this is what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of great resources out there. And especially, I think it's just hard to say, like, given what's happening with Twitter currently, like, yeah. what the role of that platform mm-hmm. will be or will not be in, like, the news world and how people's faith in information is mm-hmm. maybe diminishing. So... There's just a lot of factors at play right now in terms of how news is communicated and spread and what people believe that I think can really be shaped over the next few years. But I think that whenever there is some sort of crisis, that means that there's a need for something to help fix the crisis, which is what we, with our big brains, should be doing. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely think, I mean... There is definitely a need for a new way for people to consume yeah. information, news information yeah. that doesn't maybe exist right now, or maybe all that. I mean, the information all exists out there, but how it's communicated to people and mm-hmm. how they absorb it seems to be lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, maybe there'll be some sort of new platform or maybe there'll be yeah. something within Instagram or within TikTok more about news. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think a lot of platforms have kind of tried to do like news segments. Like Snap used to have like mm-hmm. a news team. I don't think that really <laughs> took off. I don't see their target demographic really paying yeah. attention to that. Unfortunately, Sorry. I think a lot of Twitter's like editorial team was let yeah. go so I don't know what's happened with Twitter so there's definitely a white space that is for right. sure exactly. maybe we can think about how to fill that white space exactly Isabel um okay what is something that you're looking forward to in the next six months in the next six months I'm really looking forward to our upcoming travels because yes. I am going to the Middle East on an extended trip on Monday to Turkey and Jordan and the UAE and Oman. Wow. And I'm really excited for that. And I'm also really excited to come back to campus. I think Mm -hmm. I've noticed a lot of people recently sort of realizing that we only have six months left when we come to campus and really wanting to get to know people that they've maybe known superficially Mm -hmm. the first year and haven't been able to get to know deeper, like wanting to get to know each other more in the next, like the last half of the year we have remaining. Mm -hmm. So I'm really looking forward to that and I'll just get to know my classmates even better. And I don't think you can be a tuck student if you say you're not excited to go skiing in the winter. (laughs) Except for Except for Hannah. too cold <laughs> yeah <laughs> i hate the cold no. we can go on like a ski trip together and you I can know. stay inside and sit by the fire i want to sit by the spot i want to just like sit hot in the tub. Hot, yeah, hot tub yeah i'll relax while everyone goes skiing <laughs> we can definitely do that i'm excited for that um no i i'm also like i can't believe you only have six months left of school 
it goes by way too quickly and I just feel like here I'm in such a bubble and I I honestly don't really know much I feel like going on outside of my life here because I'm when I'm here I just want to lean fully into the tub experience and just get to know as many people as I can I'm really excited to get to know more of the first years yes I also think I agree with that I've got to know a few through the recruiting process which is oh, yeah. a stressful time for them. Yeah. How many how many cases have you done? I've given a few cases. I gave two today. Mm. I've given quite a few cases, but and also I got to know a few girls, women through tripod, through yeah. hockey because the ratio was a lot more first years versus second years on the hockey team mm. this year, which was kind of fun to get to know them. That's nice. Yeah. Cuz when I played tripod last year, I did not get to know the second years yeah. at all. I definitely think, and it's just very different this year in terms of playing tripod, just because mm-hmm. the there's maybe six 23s on the team and then like 18 24s, so mm-hmm. definitely more skewed to the first years, which I think is great. Yeah. And then also when we come back in the winter, we'll be taking classes with them, <laughs> so yeah. we can actually interact with them more in ac- academic setting too. They'll be so much more engaged than us, probably. <laughs> Okay, um, last few questions. Oh, okay. Um, Instagram or TikTok? That's really hard, honestly, because it's like a 50-50 split. I do think that TikTok is more fun, and also I think a lot of the things that I see on Instagram now are reposted from TikTok. Mm -hmm. So in terms of actual original content consumption, definitely TikTok. Okay. Um, Second is... What are some books or podcasts that you've been listening to or movies that you've been really loving? So for podcasts, Mm -hmm. I listen to BBC World News every morning, which I would highly recommend for folks if they do want a news podcast because it obviously talks about major U.S. news, but it has a much more global focus, Mm. and they also do more of like a cultural segment at the end, which can be about a really fun and niche topic, so I recommend that. I think that literally every morning, Mm. and I really enjoy that a lot, and then for less like serious podcasts, I listen to Girls Gotta Eat, which is about dating. It's super fun. Um, really recommend listening to that if you want something that's like a lot less serious. They do cover serious topics, yeah. but just a ton of fun and will make you laugh. Ooh, I love it. I always love some girl chat. Yeah. Um, and then books. I haven't been reading a ton this year. You've been busy. I've been a little bit busy, yeah. but I like nonfiction a lot mm-hmm. I read over the summer I guess Empire of Pain which about the opioid crisis um, which I would really recommend reading yeah. it's big and it's depressing but it really eye-opening mm-hmm. and really places a lot of blame on the Sackler family which yeah. we knew but really eye-opening and then that same author also wrote a really great book about the troubles in Northern Ireland in the 80s and 90s, oh. specifically about people who were abducted and disappeared and have never been found. Oh so again, kind of dark subject material, but really good. 
And then on a much later note, there's an amazing Netflix TV show called Dairy Girls, which season three just came out, and it's about teenage girls living in Derry, Northern Ireland, during the Troubles, mm. but it's really hysterical. There's a hysterical Catholic nun and a really funny <laughs> Catholic priest, and I cannot recommend it enough if you want to laugh and have great like 90s soundtrack the entire time. Love it. And if you were raised Catholic or anything like that, went to Catholic school at any point, it will really just make you laugh at all the crazy things the nun does. <laughs> Love it. I'm definitely going to have to watch that. I'm going to download it for my plane trips yes. that are happening soon on my way to Dubai. I'll watch. Yes. Download and watch with subtitles because they have really, really thick accents. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to definitely need thick subtitles for that. Yeah. Uh, Isabel, this is such a nice conversation. I Yay. love this so much and I love getting to know you better. Yay, thank, thank you, you Hannah. I love talking with you too. Thanks for listening to this episode of If You Knew Me. The If You Knew Me podcast was founded back in the fall of 2020 to help deepen student connections and foster a culture of belonging at Tuck. Please check out our other episodes to support and learn more about other Tuckies. If you have any questions or feedback on the podcast, or if you want to be featured on a future episode, please contact us at the email address listed in the description.